of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hammersey. In his own peculiar way, Polonius has been telling Gertrude and Claudius all about Hamlet, ending the segment covered in the last episode with his assertion that they should cut his head from his shoulders if he's wrong. Faced with this over-articulated news bulletin about the heir to the throne, there's not a lot for the king and queen to do. Claudius's response is fairly practical, and he asks, how may we try it further? In other words, how can we get further proof or evidence of all of this? Polonius, of course, has an answer. You know, sometimes he walks four hours together here in the lobby. Now, the text says four hours, but this doesn't have to mean 240 minutes. In contemporary English, we might say that someone takes ages to do something. We don't actually mean thousands of years. So it's entirely possible that it's an aural mistake perpetrated by whoever wrote the play on paper and Polonius does just mean that he walks for hours at a time. The castle at Elsinore, where Hamlet is doing this walking, is the only building in Shakespeare that he describes as having a lobby. The name comes from the Latin lobbyum, meaning a covered walkway or a portico. When a group of people met in the grand entranceway of a castle or a public building to petition the monarch or other politicians, this grew to the other meaning of the word, as in a political lobby. So now you know. Gertrude knows well that Hamlet likes to pace the lobby. She agrees, saying, so he does indeed. Polonius's plan is as follows, as he explains it. At such a time I'll loose my daughter to him. Be you and I behind an arras then. Mark the encounter. If he love her not, and be not from his reason fallen thereon, let me be no assistant for a state, but keep a farm and carters. So the plan is, Polonius will let Ophelia loose, in other words, release her from her promise to avoid all contact with Hamlet, and put her in the prince's path. Polonius and Claudius will eavesdrop and mark the encounter. A major plot point for Polonius is revealed in this small piece of text. He makes the suggestion that he can hide behind an arras. It is hardly an accident that Shakespeare has Polonius here introduce the idea of eavesdropping from behind a tapestry. The way that heavy curtains and tapestries were hung was such that there could be a small amount of space between them, a perfect place to hide and hear goings-on between people who might otherwise assume they are alone. Of course, Polonius's habit, dare I say it, of listening in will prove fatal later in the play. And just so you know, the town of Arras, A-R-R-A-S, pronounced in English Arras, in the north of France, was a major producer of tapestries from the 14th century onwards, to the extent that the town's name became synonymous with the product, and that is why it is called an Arras. As for the hiding and the listening behind said Arras, does Polonius often do this kind of thing? How do Gertrude and Claudius react to his very easy suggestion that they should just hide and try to eavesdrop on the encounter between Hamlet and Ophelia? There's no line for Polonius to point out that this is an exceptional circumstance or an extreme measure. Perhaps this is just par for the course in this Danish court. Yet again, 
Polonius makes great claims against his certainty that he is right. This time, the assertion is that if love for Ophelia is not the cause of Hamlet's descent into this madness, then he has no business being a senior politician and should instead leave court and go run a farm with carters, who are the men who drive carts. As he says, if he love her not, and be not from his reason fallen thereon, let me be no assistant for a state, but keep a farm and carters. Eventually, Claudius really just has to agree, saying, we will try it. Conveniently enough, Hamlet himself is about to enter, first spotted by his mother. Some editions and editors suggest that he comes on even before Gertrude announces him, so that he can overhear this eavesdropping plot. This might explain some of the ways and things that he will say to Ophelia later. It's entirely up to a company staging the play how they might want to present all of this. The text itself, however, as the Queen spotting her son now, and she says, But look where, sadly, the poor wretch comes reading. I have read lengthy footnotes in more than one edition of the play discussing what book Hamlet might actually be reading here. Earlier on, we saw him with his tables, a notebook of sorts, so it might just be that, or literally any other book at all. The quarto has him enter with a book and launch almost immediately into To Be or Not To Be, leading some to imagine that the famous speech is a response to what he's reading, rather than the great interrogation of his own self. But that's only the quarto. Gertrude seems fond of the phrase, the poor wretch, and she will use it also of Ophelia later in the story. There's a need for speed now that Hamlet is coming onto the stage, even if he has his nose on a book. Polonius stage manages things and encourages the king and queen to depart. Away, I do beseech you both, away, I'll board him presently. Polonius will engage Hamlet in conversation immediately. The king and queen make themselves scarce, perhaps behind a curtain, or more likely they just exit the stage, since the arras plan is for later, listening in to Ophelia. Polonius has an extra bit of a filler line here, saying, Oh, give me leave. It's probably to cover the exit of any remaining attendants or hangers-on who exit after the king and queen. The feeling is something along the lines of, let me handle this. Some texts, however, suggest that it could even be addressed to Hamlet, as an apology for interrupting his reading. Certainly the conversation is definitely starting with the next line, when he says, How does my good lord Hamlet? Well, God mercy. Hamlet's reply is reasonably polite. But God of mercy, a contraction of God have mercy on you, is dismissive. It is used by someone of high status in response to somebody of a lower social standing. Polonius is Hamlet's senior and a very influential man at court, but the prince, actual royalty, is still putting him in his place. There's just enough of a sting in it to ruffle Polonius's feathers, and his reply could be interpreted as the Shakespearean equivalent of, don't you know who I am? He says, do you not know me, my lord? Excellent well, you are a fishmonger. Now bear in mind, this is Hamlet's first appearance since he announced that he would put an antic disposition on. This reply is our first hint of his strange but calculated behaviour. A fishmonger would certainly be of lower status than a senior court official. A fishmonger's day would be spent shouting and calling for customers' attention. Perhaps a sly dig at how much Polonius likes the sound of his own voice? Recent interpretations of the play have made much of a fishmonger being a kind of euphemism for a pander or a fleshmonger, since Polonius is about to pimp his own daughter out and use her as bait for Hamlet. 
Perhaps this is the case, especially if Hamlet has overheard the scene before Gertrude spotted him. Even more exuberant interpreters like the idea that Shakespeare might be prefiguring Ophelia's death here, wherein Gertrude calls her a mermaid, part human, part fish. But this is a very enthusiastic leap to make, I think. Polonius, of course, is not a fishmonger, obviously, and he says so. Not I, my lord. Hamlet has an answer for him immediately. Then I would you were so honest a man. This might be a hint that Hamlet could have overheard Polonius speaking with Claudius earlier in the scene, or indeed that Hamlet has heard most of Polonius's shtick before, how he carries on, how he likes to present himself, and so on. The elder statesman has definitely made a big to-do about being faithful and honourable. And now Hamlet hits him where perhaps he knows it hurts. Polonius hasn't had much of a response to Hamlet seeming not to know him or treat him with appropriate respect, or indeed the suggestion that he's a fishmonger, but questioning his honesty really rattles him. Honest, my lord. And Hamlet blithely continues. Aye, sir. To be honest, as this world goes, is to be one man picked out of ten thousand. Yes, Hamlet says. In the world we currently live in, being an honest man makes you pretty much one in a million. Polonius really doesn't know what to make of all of this. We can see that Hamlet is already running rings around him. Regardless of when he actually entered the scene, he is gleefully messing with Polonius, and will continue to do so throughout this scene. There's an awful lot to unpack. I mean, was he sincerely upset about Ophelia's rejection? Or was his behaviour just a way of getting to Polonius? What is his end game? Who is he really trying to confuse? Hopefully, we'll start to have some answers to this as we continue through the scene in the next episode. Things are getting very interesting here in Elsinore. Be sure to listen in to next time with some very famous lines and even more Polonius baiting. Just to end on a very personal note, I have relocated to Atlanta, Georgia for a new job, and so the Hamlet podcast is now five time zones behind Dublin and Greenwich Mean Time. As such, while episodes will continue to appear every Sunday, they might now seem to reach you later in the day. My microphone and my Hamlet books were the most essential items that I packed, and I'm delighted to have brought them and the podcast with me for this new adventure. Thank you so much for staying tuned, and I'll speak to you next time.